continue our series. It's actually Hebrews 11, but the Hebrews 11, verse 4, says this, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still, excuse me, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And so let's pray. Father, I thank you for the stories that you give us and the power that they have to shape us. I pray this morning would be no different, that the power of this story would shape our hearts and lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're not going to be doing a complete and like thorough uh, investigation of those verses in Genesis 4, 1 through 16. We're going to do a bunch of them, though. Uh, but the emphasis is going to fall on faith. That's what the sermon series is about. Hebrews 11 is about Christians uh, sustaining and growing in their faith and making it to the end. It's also an invitation for those who uh, have not identified as Christians yet to investigate the faith and see what it is. So that's what this series is about. And it's a, you know, one of the examples that they use is this very familiar story of Cain and Abel. So let's jump right in and look at it. Um, I would say there's three... Uh, ways that you can break this down. It's pretty clear. You've got the whole discussion uh, about Abel and his faith, and so we'll examine that. And then you've got the discussion of Cain and what's going on with his faith and the results of that. And then, obviously, jumping back in the sense of the Hebrews 11 section, there's something more going on than just uh, Cain or Abel, and we'll see that in the end when we get there. So let's look first at, at Abel's faith, and I would call this a first and best kind of a faith. And so what's actually going on here? Cain and Abel, uh, they're the sons of Adam and Eve. Cain's name uh, means kind of gotten or getting stuff, and we'll see that that shows up in his example. But Abel's name means breath or short-lived, and so you see that played out here as well, that he was on the scene briefly and then gone, but even though he's gone, he's still Speaks. Abel was a shepherd. Cain was a worker of the ground. And then in verse 3 it says, In the course of time, Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions, and the Lord had regard. The Hebrew there literally means he looked at it. It's that kind of thing with a father and a son where you know the son does something and you can just see the father's face locked in on it and beaming on it and approving of what Abel did there. And so the Lord had regard. He looked upon and gazed upon Abel's offering, but Cain's he didn't look upon. And so what was going on? What was going on with the difference between Cain and Abel's offering? You know, some people talk about, well, one was an animal sacrifice and one was a grain offering. That's not really the main issue what's happening here. We do know Hebrews 11 says Abel was filled with faith, but what did his faith look like? You know, faith is a very common word, and as we're exploring this over a number of weeks, we want to be sure we're really getting at it. And here's the, the main rub of what the difference between Abel's offering slash his faith and Cain's offering and his brand or kind of faith. Abel's was a first and best. Abel was a, a shepherd, and he brought the firstborn of his flock, which is an act of faith in and of itself. You don't know how the rest of the thing's going to go. You know, some of you know that we, you know, tried to have some puppies, and we only got one. <laughs> and so if you only got one, you give it to the Lord. That's, it's all dedicated to the Lord. Uh, you can see there's a scripture passage here. I think it's from Exodus, if I'm not mistaken. 
all the firstborn males that are born of your herd and flock, you shall dedicate to the Lord your God. You shall do no work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. There's this understanding as the worship of the Lord developed in Scripture that the first, there's this principle of first. This is, this is the first animal, and I'm dedicating it absolutely 100% to the Lord. It's a recognition of the Lord's value and worth in your life. And so in Abel, this is what he does. His firstborn of his flock, he dedicates to the Lord. And then it also says, and the fat portions. Which again, if you were to look through other passages in the Old Testament, as the worship of the Lord developed over time, you recognize that the fat portions were considered the best portions. And those were oftentimes, although not exclusively, but oftentimes restricted, so to speak, or dedicated to the Lord. And so when it was the right time, Cain and Abel, probably young men here, they'd probably learned about sacrifice from their father and their mother, you know, from Adam and Eve, because when they sinned in the garden, God slew an animal and, and sacrificed. And so they kind of had this idea of worshiping and bringing offerings. And it was their time, they said over the course of time, for them to, in a sense, be their own men and bring their offerings. Abel's heart is functioning this way. God is the best. God is the most valuable. God is the most important. And what could I possibly bring to God that would resonate with that, that would parallel how I'm feeling about his goodness and his greatness toward me? I'm going to bring the firstborn and best of everything that I have. And so then the Lord doesn't just take the offering. You see very specifically, it says the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. And so the Lord is seeing into the heart and then what's also on the altar. And then the Lord is pleased. He looks upon it. He receives it. To use the language of Hebrews 11, God commends Abel. He, in a sense extends to him a, a welcome into his presence. As you would go through the scripture, this, what this reality, this how does that work? How do you get in relationship with God? There's this issue where I believe that God is most valuable and most important, and that gets reflected in then an offering or my life or whatever it is. And, and that faith that values God in that way becomes the means by which you come into the family of God, the presence of God. It's later called the doctrine of justification by grace through faith. You are declared righteous, commended, welcomed into the presence of God, not by your own works, but by a faith that values God above all else. Okay? And so Abel was commended. And again, these stories are supposed to shape us. There's definitely a sense in which the author of Hebrews 11, and certainly the author of Genesis here, would want you to look at the example of Abel and be like, yeah, be like that guy. Okay? Paul describes this, he, you know, he, he specifies it and hones it in on the personal work of Jesus in Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, but whatever gain I had, speaking about his former life and the accomplishments that he had in his Judaism and his religious teaching and all of those, his reputation as a blameless Jewish individual, all of that he described earlier in the chapter, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. There's the, there's the kinship with Abel. Abel's going, what can I bring? What is the most valuable thing I have? 
my first and best in my flock. That's what I'm going to offer. And, and Paul says, there's nothing more important to me than knowing and relating to Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's of supreme value. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. So in a sense, Paul defines that experience of making that evaluation of like, I count these things as rubbish, and this is supremely valuable. That whole transaction, Paul labels faith in Christ. That's what faith is. Faith is valuing the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that leads to a righteousness not of my own, but a righteousness that comes from God. In order to be in the fellowship and the company of God, so to speak, you could say, in his good graces, you need a righteousness. Not a righteousness of your own, because you could never get it on your own, but a righteousness that comes through faith. And that's what Paul says. The righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, that depends on faith. And so this is just good news. I mean, this is, you know. So what is the faith of Abel? The faith of Abel is valuing the person and the work of God more than anything else in my life. And she would fast forward to Christ. It's valuing the person and work of Christ more than anything in my life. And that is faith. And when you do that, you are welcomed into the family of God. And so there's a pushback here on you know, faith is not simply affirming content about Jesus. Say that again. Faith is not affirming content about Jesus. Yes, I know he was a historical person. Yes, I know that he died. Yes, I know that he died for my sins. Yes, I know that he rose again. Yes, I know he promises to come again. I affirm all of that content. That is not genuine faith. Genuine faith bumps that further. Genuine faith sees those facts, loves and values those facts, and is surrendered to and dedicated to those facts more than anyone or anything else in my life. That's faith. That's the kind of faith that the Lord looks down upon and says, okay, that person is, is welcomed into my family, welcomed into my community. In Romans chapter 5, then, talks about, I don't have this for you up on the screen, but in Romans chapter 5, uh, verses like 1 through 4, I believe it is, I'll read these for you. He talks about the benefits, so to speak, of what that is, and obviously there's, the benefits are, you know, more than we can recount, but I need to just say a few of them before we move on to the contrast with Cain. He says, therefore, since you have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Everyone say peace with God. Abel left that offering that morning with a deep-seated peace in his heart through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith. When you're welcomed into the family of God, you have peace. You are no longer guilty for your sin. You're no longer accountable for it. You also have access. You can pray, and your prayers can be answered into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So there's peace, there is access, there is joy. And then he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance character, character hope. So now it's 
peace and access and joy, and then hope in suffering, all because you've been welcomed into the family of God by grace through faith, which values Jesus above everything else. And so, New City, if we're going to be a, you know, a really Christian, a truly Christian church that lives by faith, we are going to be valuing who Jesus is above everyone or everything. And so if you're here and you're a Christian, everything that's going on in your life, prosperity or pain, is a test or shaping that reality. And so you want to view it that way. What does this incredible blessing that's coming to my life have to do with the fact that I've been welcomed by grace through faith in Christ into God's family? And what does this suffering have to do with that? And so it's an ever-deepening and strengthening reality where your faith goes deeper and wider into the reality that I value and love Jesus above all else because I trust that he is a rewarder of those that seek him, to quote Hebrews 11 says. And if you're here and you're trying to figure the Christianity thing out, you need to, you know, we don't want any fine print stuff here, okay? This is what it is to follow Jesus. It's not just like a tip of the hat, like, oh yeah, I do believe in Jesus, and then my life doesn't change. Like, the deepest things that you value the most are going to become subservient to Jesus. That's what it means to follow him. And he doesn't pull any punches with it either. He says, if you're going to come after me, and you don't hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, and your own life also, you can't be my disciple. <laughs> it's like, whoa. And obviously, he does not mean hate those people at all. Jesus wants you to love those people. But what he's saying, you know, kind of metaphorically or um, not, not metaphorically, hyperbolically, is your love for Jesus will far excel your love for others because you believe, this is a belief issue, you believe that who Jesus is and what he brings to you and what he offers you is greater than what anyone else could bring or offer you. Do you believe that? Do you actually believe that Jesus is better? Abel believed that. He believed that Jesus was better than keeping the firstborn of his flock and the best parts. He was like, I'm giving that to God because that's better for my life. And the Lord saw that and commended it. Now, Cain <laughs> didn't have a first and best kind of faith. He had what I would call a leftover faith. It says in verse... Uh, three, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering. Some people that say some of an offering of the fruit of the ground. Again, nothing wrong with bringing an offering of the fruit of the ground. Nothing wrong with being a farmer. Abel wasn't commended because he had the right occupation. <laughs> you know, God doesn't like farmers, but he loves shepherds. <laughs> no. The issue is that when Cain's crop came in, and it would have come in big time. Cain didn't go, where's the best stuff that I can bring and offer to the Lord? Cain brought the leftovers. And that told you what Cain believed. Cain believed that it would be better for his life. This is sad. Cain believed that it would be better if he kept the best stuff for himself. That's what he believed. And so Cain had a leftover kind of faith. And so that type, you know, the Lord sees into that situation, 
That doesn't square with the value and the worth and the glory of God. And so God does not receive that kind of uh, offering. God doesn't uh, commend it. He doesn't feel, Cain certainly doesn't feel accepted here. You know, it's interesting to me, Cain was not an atheist. Cain definitely believed in God. In fact, he had a conversation with God. He knew about the one true and living God. But he had a kind of faith that did not value and think that giving all to God was worth it and valuable enough. And so that was a deficient, dysfunctional kind of faith, a leftover kind of faith. And then there's, something, there's certain results that we want to look at for now. What are the results of that kind of dysfunctional, leftover kind of faith? The first result of it, and this is beautiful, has nothing to do with Cain. It has everything to do with God. God gives him a second what? He gives him a second chance. This is so great. I mean, the first thing that happens to Cain, by the way, when this offering is rejected, it says his countenance falls. You know, I leaned over to my wife when Meredith was reading that. It's like, God almost basically said to Cain, as parents often say to kids, fix your face. <laughs> okay. But that was, that was indicative of a deeper reality. Being alienated from your maker causes this kind of shame and guilt, and he's crestfallen. And God sees his face, and he says, hey, Cain, if you, if you do well, or the idea there is if you repent, if you... You know, go back to your crop because you value and trust that I would be better and greater and you bring what is best. He, he says, won't you be accepted? And the Hebrew word there is, it just, it's just the word lifted up. And it has this idea that your heart and then your face will be lifted up and you'll be restored. Cain, Cain there's a second chance here. You got it wrong, but I'm giving you a second chance. <laughs> you know, people say God's a God of second chances. Like, yeah, on page six in my Bible, you see it. Right at the very beginning, you learn who God is. He's a God of second chances. And more chances, we could say. So what happens when you have this kind of leftover faith? There's this, God would respond by giving you a second chance. But for Cain himself, I've already indicated, he's crestfallen. He's, he, is, he is sad for sure. He feels shame and guilt. But it also says that he is, verse uh, 4, 5, excuse me, he is very angry. 1 John 3 gives us more insight into this. Cain is jealous. Sibling rivalry is birthed right here. Abel's offering was accepted. Cain's wasn't. He's ashamed. He's discouraged. But that shame and discouragement very quickly turns to anger. And so all of this negative emotion, you know, there's a lot of conversation right now about negative emotions. It's interesting, very early in the Bible, like you see these negative emotions, and a lot of them are tied to the fact that the deepest, most influential, uh, or deepest, most important part of you, your, namely your relationship with God, when that begins to get fractured, lots of negative emotions, then there's, there's fertile soil for discouragement and sorrow and shame and bitterness and jealousy. It just starts sprouting up with Cain. And then the Lord gives him this warning. He says that sin is like this animal, verse 7, that's crouching at the door. And it wants to bar barge through the door and master over you. There's this idea that, Cain, you've got this, in this moment right now, you've got a second chance to repent and, and worship by true faith. But if you don't, this, this 
thing that's been planted and rooted in your heart is going to come through and master you. And this is Paul's theology too. If you, you, know, you know, guys, if you're familiar with Galatians and Romans and other places like that, when, when Paul says that sin has dominion over you, where does Paul get that from? He gets it from right here. The very first pages of the Bible. If you give way to this dysfunctional, leftover faith, then you can be assured that sin will come in and master you. <laughs> I was reading some commentators. Not, I'm no Freud scholar, but Freud said the same thing, that human desires master the human. It's like, <laughs> even psychologists are saying. <laughs> so this dysfunctional faith leads to not being condemned by God, negative emotion, being enslaved by sin, and then tragically, kind of the pinnacle of the story where the story turns, verse 8, Cain spoke to his brother Abel. We don't know what he said. They were in the field. Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And there it is. Sin certainly had the mastery of the day. A leftover kind of faith leads to community conflict. Everything from interpersonal relationships all the way on up to the big abuses and controversies of our day and our world and our age. Walkie said it this way. There's a quote. He says that Cain, what does he say? Cain failed at the altar, so he failed in the field. The way I say it in our house is, is that you got people problems because you got worship problems. And so, you know, again, anything from, you know, like I said, the, the interpersonal relationships in your household to the big sins of, you know, of whether it's you know, sexism or racism or oppression of the poor, all of that, the, the main issue isn't necessarily the policies that are in place. The problem is that human beings' hearts do not love and trust God, and then more specifically, the work and person of Jesus Christ. And because we don't worship by genuine faith, a first and best faith, but rather, so much has been done in the name of Christianity that has been abusive and oppressive to other people, it's Cain-like. It's not that these people don't claim to be Christians. They claim to be Christians, but they have a leftover kind of faith. God help us. And then one of the saddest things that you see in this story is in the very end, in verse 16, it reads that Cain went away from the presence of the Lord settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain ends up far, far from God. Mysteriously, I don't really have time for this next statement, I'm going to say it anyway. Cain becomes the archetype of human culture that knows about God, but doesn't actually worship God. Cain's sons and grandsons become incredible culture builders. Farmers, ranchers, metal workers, all of these kind of things. And they know about the living God, but they don't actually know the living God. It's a culture filled with a leftover kind of faith, and not that sweet, powerful faith. That's, 
Abel's just there for a minute. But even though he's dead, he still speaks because he had a first and best kind of faith. He believed that giving everything to God would be worth it because the Lord is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So, is the summation of the message, don't be like Cain, be like Abel. That's probably good enough. but not quite. Because there's a perfecter of our faith. When you study the Bible, especially if you're new to this, this is one of the really cool things about the Bible. It's all interlocked and interconnected. And the latter part of the Bible, the New Testament part of the Bible, Jesus actually says, you should go back into the first part of the Bible and see that the stories that were unfolding there all in one way or another point to and testify to me. And so there's a sense then, if, if Jesus, you know, he says it's true, that Abel will be a little bit of a witness or a testimony somehow to Jesus. And what we really need to see is not Abel, I'm not an Abelite, <laughs> I'm a Christian. I need to see Jesus, and that's what you guys need to see, but we can see Jesus in Abel. And here's how. We actually can see the Lord and Christ in Abel. You will be equipped and enabled to have that first and best kind of faith when you see that you have a first and best kind of a God. For God so loved the world, one translation. Or you could translate John 3.16 this way. For God loved the world in this way. That he gave his one and only son. When the Lord was like, what can I do to bring people back to me? What can I give? The, the God the Father loved you by giving you his absolute 100% best. Does that play with you? Does it resonate? The Lord gives his best. Jesus himself offered himself completely and wholly for, you know, he offered himself on your behalf. He wasn't, Jesus didn't give you his leftovers. Although I think Jesus' leftovers probably would have been enough for me. He gave you absolutely everything. And so when you look at that, he's, he's saying, do you trust me now? If he's on the cross, he's saying, do you trust me now? Do you think I'll keep my promises? Is there anyone else that could do this for you? And then you go to the empty tomb, he rises from the dead, and he's got power and glory, and he's inviting you, and he's saying, do you trust me now? Can you trust me? I conquered sin and death and Satan in the grave. Can you trust me? Can you give me your first and your best? I promise I'll reward you. And so if we would see Jesus giving his first and best, then it, it evokes the appropriate response that then we too would give our first and best. That's the first way that Abel points to Jesus. The second way is that Abel was a great example of faith, but 
Abel's blood, it says, was crying from the ground, which is a whole other study, which is, is kind of like powerful and arresting your attention. God's like, hey, Cain, you thought you got away with this, but I got ears in the ground. His blood is crying to me, and the blood of Abel is crying out for justice. Justice, justice. My brother killed me. I'm innocent, just. And so the Lord brings justice to Cain, and he does punish Cain. But interestingly, Hebrews 12 says this about the blood of Jesus. You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What's he saying? <laughs> the blood of Abel's going, justice, justice, justice. Give Cain what he deserves. And the blood of Jesus is going, mercy, mercy, mercy. true and better Abel. So then, then it's like, okay, if I see Jesus like that, his faithfulness, his love, his first and best solicits from me my first and best. Again, I'm not a musician. I, most of my analogies are sports, I'm sorry. But like when there's someone on a team and they're giving their first and best it tends to rub off on the other people around them and they begin to give their first and best. And so New City, we need to see Jesus offering his first and best so that it solicits from us that kind of first and best kind of faith that says, I know that if I, the best thing for my life, the best thing that I could do with my life is give all of it completely to Jesus because he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And then the result, you know, the result of that first and best kind of faith, we already talked about it. There's this personal, like, yeah, I have this relationship with God, I have peace, I have joy, those things that we mentioned from Romans chapter 5. But we need to add one more thing in closing. When we have that first and best kind of a faith, we're transformed in that way into the likeness of Jesus. What it then promotes is a loving community, which makes sense when you look at the story of Cain and Abel. Cain had a worship problem that led to a people problem, but when your worship gets restored, what then happens horizontally is that you become a loving person, and when you get a group of people together called a church, you get a loving community. The same forgiveness that I've received here, I then have strength to start bending out over here. It is very difficult to be genuinely offering your first and best to the Lord in those moments. This is why we talk about renewing your heart and mind so much. Renew your heart and mind in Jesus and remind yourself of who you are in Christ and be in the Word and let it wash over you, all of those kind of things, so that when that happens, you are living in the goodness and the reality of that faith, then it's, it's hard in that situation to be unloving and unkind. When you're not doing that, like 2 o'clock in the morning and you wake your daughter up for no apparent reason because you're frustrated. has nothing to do with my life. <laughs> I'm not living in that goodness in reality. Then it's very easy to mistreat people around me with unkindness, meanness, abuse, racism, you name it. Worship problems, people problems. And so, friends, let's allow this story of faith to shape us. And the first move of shaping us 
is to see Jesus offering his first and best and then to believe into him that who he is and what he offers is the best and so therefore I'm willing to give. I give my first and best of my time to the Lord. I give my first and best of my day to the Lord. I give my first and best of my money to the Lord. There's this like complete giving over of my first and best. And then I allow that to bend it out so that, you know, 1 John 3, 12, I have this last verse right up here. Don't worry about the Romans 12, 1 and 2. We don't have time for it, but. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who is of the evil one, and murdered his brother. Why? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. The worship he references there. And by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And so let's be, our vision statement here at New City is that we would be a people who love one another because God has first loved us. And that happens when we have a first and best faith that leads to a true worship of God and then love for one another.